Christmas time is finally over. The weekend is done with, and we are into week two of the NBA season. What's up, guys? Episode two of Keeping It 94. Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz, talking hoops, talking all of the things that have to do with your favorite teams and perhaps hopefully some things that are going on with your teams that aren't going in the uh, right direction. So, Brian, what's going on, man? Don't tell my wife that Christmas is over because she insists on keeping up the tree much longer than, than I would prefer. I'm, I'm kind of of the belief the tree doesn't go up until December. And then the second that December 31st hits or probably January 1st, you take the tree down. That's the latest. If it's up to my wife, she puts it up like probably a couple of days before Thanksgiving and wants to take it down sometime in like February, whenever she gets around to it, kind of a thing. Sounds like my family, except my mother is just like the next day, literally the day after is just ready to take everything down and put up all the new year's decorations. Cause she's just like OCD in that sense. <laughs> you put up but new year's decorations. She puts up like every types of season directions, you know, decorations that's possible. Luckily I'm in my own space now. So I don't have to deal with any of it. I can just be plain Jane and be good with it. Oh, um, have we come up with a name for your place yet? Or we could call it like the Spinorama or. Oh boy. See, I don't know. I don't know how, how to, to name uh, my first place. I don't know if I'm going to, uh, but if I do, it'll be more natural. Hopefully not to have to do anything with my, uh, my work nickname, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, hopefully Santa brought you some goodies. I know he got me covered. Got myself in a little bit of a home studio here in my office. I'm very excited to try things out. Got a nice little mic arm stand. I've got a brand new light, got a brand new webcam. So uh, hopefully for this and for future live, live streams for basketballnews.com, get to utilize some of this stuff because I like it. And it's, it's uh, my nerdy kind of, uh, what would you call it? My, my nerdy thing, you know, like I, I just like it because my like, little gadgets. I like to use oh, them. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got that too with my office set up as well. And who knows, maybe sometime in the near future, people will be able to see this podcast on video as well. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be super cool. And I would really like that, especially for those, those live hits, like you said, in case breaking news happens. Um, but like I mentioned, we are into week two of the NBA. I just wanted to hit something before we actually get to what's going on on the court. With the bubble, I was so used to watching the games happen. One after the other, after the other, after the other. We are back to that reality where we've got like five or six games going on at the same time in the same period. And it's really difficult to keep up with. If Even if you do have League Pass, you have to have like four TVs or three TVs in order to know what's going on simultaneously. So it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine and I know there's nothing that they can do, and this is what the normal NBA is. But in order to pay attention to, say, if I want to watch the Cavs tonight versus the Knicks while another game's going on and another game's going on, trying to cover the league as a whole, as a national writer, is not easy. You have to do a lot of studying. You have to go back and watch a lot of highlights and a lot of film. And that's something that I try to do a lot more since I have entered this space. Uh, Twitter can be helpful just with like the little small moments and stuff. But as, as everything's happening at the same time, it's just for me, very difficult to keep up with. And I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you go about it, but man, it's just all happening at the same time, especially I'm on the East coast. There's a lot of 7 PM games and then they're followed up by 7:30 games. And all of a sudden you don't know which one to freaking watch. Well, number one, for everybody that covers the NBA or covers sports in general, or even if you're a huge sports fan and you live on the West Coast, you are living the life. Because on the East Coast, it's um, if you're going to stay up to watch games, I mean, you're staying up till 1, 1.30 in the morning. If you're only watching them live. Um, how many TVs do you have right now, though? I have two, and then I have one in the bedroom. Okay, so, so you have two in the living room, so you can watch two games at a time. Correct. Okay, because I do the same thing. Have you thought about maybe getting two more? <laughs> See, now this is an interesting question. Uh, and, and TVs, like, honestly, for all intents and purposes, they're not that expensive, especially if it's like one of those, you know, 
28 to 32 inch, you know, Dynex or off brand, whatever it may be. Uh, the, the issue in that would be I don't have enough devices to stream onto. Well, and so on top that, of that, would be the second part. Well, and plus, when you're watching games, it can be a little bit more difficult to really focus on a game or two. Like to, to focus on two, I think is one thing. I think you could do that. Once you get three or four at the same time, especially for, you're not just watching it as a fan, you're watching it to cover and to dissect it. It gets a little bit more difficult. So like for me, if there's a game that I really want to go on my way to see, um, I'll try to go back on league pass and watch it. Because even if you, you don't want to watch the whole game, like they'll do the condensed versions of it there so you can see highlights and whatnot. I always make sure to watch highlight shows, um, watch NBA TV, you know, things like that. But like, I'm probably not watching as much as you. So yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> your eyes, your eyes go like pinballs, dude. Like you're just like, okay, I'm here. I'm there. Maybe if I want to pull it up on my laptop, I'll watch it on my laptop. It's just very, it's, it's distracting and you're trying to focus on something. And if you have a story idea, you're just like, okay, I'm watching this game, but Oh, this game is like a two point game right now. Like it's just, it's so like, it's so difficult to focus on one and it, it kind of goes to this idea. So with the NFL, you know, they have the red zone channel. That's how everyone knows who's going to score and stuff like that. What is that concept for basketball? Because my little brother, my little brother, Cade, he's, 15 years old on the freshman team uh, in love with the game. Just absolutely loves basketball. And he's always asking me, Hey, is there a red zone for the NBA? And I said, in theory, I don't really know how that could be executed unless it's a close game at the end. And that's how they're flashing over. And you know, like, I don't know what that execution of a red zone for NBA would look like. And, and, and that right in there in itself, I feel like, it's not a problem, but it's just so difficult to keep up with. But I, I wanted to keep, kick us off with that subject because I, I find it very interesting to to try and multitask in the sense of actively watching multiple games at the same time. And that's something that Wob is really good at, Worldwide Wob on Twitter, if you don't know what I'm talking about. He is just so good. He's a machine at being able to to pick out these big moments and post them on his Twitter and all that stuff. But for me, I, I just I feel like I have to focus on two maximum at a time in order to pick up on things. Well, NBA TV does that sometimes where they'll flip around like you'll watch their show at night and they'll be flipping around between games. But they don't I can't remember how often they do that, but I don't know what the formula would be. I guess it would be just whatever games are tight. And just kind of bounce around like, let's give you a couple of minutes here. Let's give you a minute here. Oh, we're down to the final two minutes before the half in this game. So let's show you that. Let, let's keep you here for a few minutes. And then obviously you want to go to games that are down to the wire um, that you want to show the last couple of minutes for, but it, it's not as easy as in the NFL because there is no red zone. Like you said, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're not, you're always in scoring territory in the NBA. Always, always, always. And that's, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the execution of a red zone channel for the NBA. I wonder how they would do that. I don't know, but, uh, Brian, I think you should come up with the idea and you should trademark it, put it, put it in execution. Oh boy. See yes. now, see now you're trying to get me to stretch out my entrepreneurship skills. And that's probably not a good idea because I have way too much going on, Brian, <laughs> but, uh, let's get into who stood out to you on the early end. Uh, I did a quick little, uh, quick hit on, DeMontis Sabonis and Brandon Ingram, they both got player of the week, first of the season for the NBA uh, for the week of December 22nd to 27th. Um, man, I'll tell you, uh, Sabonis really looks strong. He has the Pacers at a 3-0 record, first time since the 2013 and 14 season. Uh, he has a triple-double in his name, averaged 24 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, and 44% uh, from beyond the arc for, for big DeMontis. So, a uh, strong start to the season for him. Brandon Ingram, same thing. He's got 27 points a game, seven rebounds, 6.7 assists, and 47% from deep. And the Pelicans are two and one, surprisingly, uh, with their first uh, action under Stan Van Gundy. So uh, I just wanted to see who stood out to you. Uh, there's, there's plenty of names. 
I know a lot of people are a little down because there's been a lot of blowouts early. And uh, even though it's admittedly surprising to me, it's not because some of the teams that had the layoff was for nine to 10 months. Other teams might have had a, a layoff for two months. Training camp went by like very fast and, and preseason only lasted, you know, three games or four games. So there's a lot of people that are catching up and getting up to speed, which is probably why other teams are more prepared than their counterpart, counterparts. So I, I just want to know uh, what stood out to you so far on the court. Spencer, I think you've been burying the lead this entire time because there's not going to be too many opportunities. We're very early on in a podcast. You're going to be able to speak positively about the Cleveland Cavaliers <laughs> who have gotten off to a 3-0 and start. Now, mind you, it's not exactly a murderer's row they've beaten so far. I mean, they, they beat the Hornets. They beat the Pistons. They did beat the Sixers, but Joel Embiid did not play in that game. But the Cavs have gotten off to you know 3-0 start. And here's a question that I have for you because I just heard this too, okay? You being the Cleveland guy, you're going to know this a lot more than me. And I want to know if this is a thing, okay? Because I just, I heard this for the first time. Zach Lowe said this, and I had never heard this before. And I just want to know if this is a thing that I've just missed out on. But the backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, who both played really well to start the season, especially Sexton, he has referred to them as sexland. Is that really a thing? And have I been missing out on it this entire time? It's been the thing since Darius Garland got drafted last year. How have I not heard this? So um, our good friends over at the chase down, Justin Rowan and Carter Rodriguez came up with sexland. And uh, that is the combination of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. The reason that it hasn't caught on until now is probably because one half of them wasn't playing that well. So now that Darius Garland has looked as good as he has to start the season, people are starting to pick up on, okay, we're learning who Darius Garland is, and we already know who Colin Sexton is. We need a nickname for them. The thing is, there's already been a nickname for him for a while. So Larry Nance Jr. actually put it on his Twitter yesterday when asked what their nickname is, and he said, well, I think we've already established that it's Sexland. And I know that Larry Nance Jr. is really close with Justin and Carter over at the chase down. So that's just kind of been the thing. And it's wonderful. now that it's taking it's off. Wonderful. Say it's taking off now because the Cavs are 3-0. and And the backcourt looks great. It does. <laughs> I think that that's about, that's about it. And I mean, uh, I'm surprised that you're the one that brought up Cleveland and not me. I, it's early, I know, but. Colin Sexton has looked fantastic and you know, he probably hasn't gotten the credit that he deserves since like he's when he first came into the league, he struggled a little bit, but from about the halfway point of his rookie season to now he's played very well. I mean, and he's got range. He's very efficient so far this year. He's hitting over 50% of his shots. I mean, he's averaging 27 points. Um, Garland, like you said, he's the one that's really picked up his game so far. And then Andre Drummond, who, if you couldn't guess, yeah, he's in a contract year and he's playing like it because he looks like a man possessed so far. I mean, he was part of a throwaway trade last year and people were wondering if he was going to pick up his option and he did. And now the Cavs have got this really nice center that's playing, there's outperforming what most people thought. And I think are going to have an interesting um, discussion about what to do with him later on the season, especially if they continue playing great because he is in a contract year. But I mean, that dude's out there hustling. He's he stripped Derrick Rose twice in their game the other night. Um, I mean, he's I saw him take the ball almost coast to coast once or twice. I mean, he's playing really, really hard. And I mean, I think a lot of people have forgotten that like Andre Drummond is a really talented guy. He's he's not going to shoot the ball or anything like that. But, you know, when those traditional center roles, he can still do a lot of things. They can do them very, very well. You're a little wrong on that because Andre will shoot the ball when he decides to he shoot will, the ball. But he's he does, not no, I'm not saying that he's going to do it. I'm not saying he's going to do it well, yes. but he's going to shoot. He will absolutely shoot. Um, but no, you're, you're completely right with Andre. I, I think that he set a goal during the preseason in the training camp to be defensive player in a year. 
and a lot of people were kind of looking side-eyed at him like you. Uh, so far, he is getting steals. He's averaging 2.7 a game right now. He's averaging nearly two blocks a game. Uh, key, key defensive stops uh, when the, the Cavaliers need him, need him most. You already mentioned uh, down the stretch against Detroit, uh, how big of a job he did there. Uh, that's just a, you know basically the tip of the iceberg as far as his ability to switch uh, one through five right now. Uh, his, his ability to really, he gets the, the, the break started for them. I don't know if you saw the beautiful transition play where he started the break after he got a, a rebound or a, a uh, block on uh, somebody from Philly. It was Drummond who led the break. He passed it off over to Darius Garland and Garland immediately went behind the back to Larry Nance Jr. And Jr. threw it down. And it was one of the, the, the prettiest, the most fluid-looking fast breaks that the Cavs have had um, to this point. And, and, and it just looked really, really nice. Um, I, I think that uh, we haven't mentioned JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee's done a good, good job off the bench uh, in spelling Andre Drummond uh, and giving him a rest while you know the rest of the guys are learning to play with JaVale. And, and JaVale looks like he's spry. He had a play where he went coast-to-coast. Uh, I believe that it was um, against uh, Charlotte in the opener where he, he literally got a rebound and went the whole length of the court. And that's what he it. will do. I mean, that it's funny because like I've seen JaVale the last couple of years with the Lakers. And I know a lot of people remember even earlier in his career when, when he was in Golden State and people always talk about like he's, you know, on shacked in a fool and clowning on JaVale and everything like that. JaVale McGee plays hard. He's a fun-loving guy out there, not in a negative way either. He adds, I think, so much to the locker room and a guy on the sidelines, everything. But when he gets on the court, he plays hard. I mean, he's not going to be a guy that should play, you know, 30 minutes a night. But you throw him out there for 10 or 15 minutes a night, JaVale's going to do JaVale things, you know. And and sometimes he's going to shoot a three. And sometimes he's going to take the ball coast to coast. And there are going to be a couple of times where he probably shouldn't do that. I think he's picking his spots a lot more on that, but he adds energy and a certain kind of, you know, he brings something on the court where you can just tell he's having fun and he's playing hard and that, and that bleeds over to the rest of the team. And, and, the, and his sheer size is something that the Cavs have not had for a while, uh, at least to be used with his athleticism. And that also goes for the rest of the roster. J.B. Bickerstaff has a lot to play with right now. He's yeah. got a lineup that is very versatile, uh, can play multiple positions. He's finally got some size to work with. Uh, I think uh, Damian Dotson is another guy that they picked up from New York who could really be a nice piece of that bench. Um, I, I think we've gone too long without mentioning Jetty Osman uh, and just how active he's been uh, first time he hasn't started in a couple years, but he's really relished uh, that reduced role coming in and shooting 53% from beyond the arc on nearly six attempts a game so far, averaging almost 16 points a game. Like he has been so solid, uh, especially in transition and uh, in just those hustle plays, getting the ball and, and, and keeping it so that the Cavs have these extra chances. Um, I think that the Jetty's done excellent work uh, in that sense. It's just, it really is. Uh, they're playing for one another right now. And um, I, I didn't even mention Junior on the dunk earlier, but just his Swiss Army knife skills, the ability to crash the glass, get his teammates involved, and also, uh, you know, shoot the basketball and, and, and be able to, to, to knife inside in the paint. Uh, they, they've got a lot of weapons. Uh, I don't know how long this is going to sustain for. I don't have them as somebody who's going to be like highly into the playoff picture. I could have them as a play-in team if necessary. Um, it, it, like the only way that that'll happen is if this continues. But for now, I, I think that Cavs fans have a lot to uh, look forward to in their future. And they haven't even been playing uh, the rookie Isaac, Isaac Okoro because he's been hurt with the uh, ankle injury. So, I mean, it's early. There's a lot to go. Yeah, it's early. It's one of those things where you can get excited about it. You can see some positives about it, but it's like pump the brakes maybe a little bit. Let's see it go a little bit longer. Um, Kevin Love is going to be out for the next month with a strained calf. That was announced 
uh, earlier on uh, Tuesday morning. So um, we'll see how much they miss uh, Kevin on the court. I mean, the Orlando Magic are kind of in the same boat because I was really down on the Magic going into the season, but the Magic have one of the most um, efficient offenses so far this year. They have not lost a game, and you know they've looked really good so far as well. I mean, they're three and zero. Um, another team that's, you know, they're not beating the best of the best. I mean, they beat the Wizards on back-to-back nights. They did beat the Heat, though, on opening night for them. So, you know, give them credit. I mean, hey, we, we've seen this before with some other teams as well. You get off to a, a, a quick start. You got to give it a couple of weeks, but it's good for those fan bases and for those teams that we get out of the gate strong and see if they can sustain it. And our uh, Nikias Duncan did an excellent film breakdown on Markel Fultz, uh, his first few games. So make sure to go check that out on basketballnews.com because Nikias is a wizard when it comes to uh, breaking down film and, and analyzing it. Uh, Markel Fultz averaging nearly 21 points a game, uh, and he's shooting 49% from the field. So uh, he's looked really, really sharp. I think that Terrence Ross off the bench has, has looked great. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, I I've talked to him in the past, uh, about, uh, Marvel actually. Uh, but he's a supreme talent and, uh, can just score like a microwave. Um, so, oh. so he's definitely someone, uh, that, that can really hurt you as an opponent, especially when he gets hot. I'll be honest with you. When that flurry of, uh, extensions went down last week. And Markel Fultz got three years, 50 million. And I understand that the third year was only partially guaranteed or whatnot. I was one of the people that was there going, are they nuts? Do the magic not know what they're doing? Cause here we go again, you know, overspending on a guy. And we, we saw plenty of that. I mean, there, there were some guys that got some big contracts. So, I mean, NBA owners, I want to, you know, cry poor, um, stop throwing out those huge contracts then for guys that are not going to be all-star players. However, you know, Fultz was a guy that I really rolled my eyes about. And so far this year, he's played great. I mean, uh, this is why yes. they went and got, got him, you know, and now, you know, not that the Sixers are really in a dire spot, but you could tell they gave up on him maybe a little bit early. And sometimes you just need that change of environment, but it's taken a little time too, but maybe it's finally going to pay off the Orlando magic when it comes to having Markel Fultz and him starting to play up to the expectations that people had for him coming into the league. No doubt. No doubt. And and I'm also really looking forward to seeing what Cole Anthony can do. He had a really good preseason. Um, he's probably going to get somewhere around that 18 to 22 minutes a game uh, type of deal, uh, either with Markel Fultz or behind him. Uh, however, they decide to shake out the rotations for Steve Clifford. Um, but but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Obviously, a highly recruited uh highly touted recruit out of high school and didn't quite live up to the billing at North Carolina, uh, according to some, but was able to get into the uh, NBA draft this year uh, in the mid teens and uh, the magic uh, clearly are high on him. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Cole Anthony can do. Brian, let's mention another three and O team may as well just go through the list. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are three and O after Monday night's victory. Uh, against the uh, Pistons, feisty Pistons, by the way, Uh, 128-120. I believe that this was uh, Rajon Rondo's first action with the Hawks. Uh, Saw about 15 minutes, but came in, dropped 12 points. Knocking down 30-footers. Right away. We all know Rondo can do. Right away. Like, exactly. He was just kind of unconscious from beyond the arc, and this is just not the Rondo we're used to seeing. Obviously, he's you know, adjusted his game to, to the modern NBA, but didn't think that, you know, he'd be able to, to sustain it. So let's see what he can do over the course of a season. We know that in the regular season, he's not usually, you know, this amazing ball player that he is in the postseason. But for this, this Hawks team, just to be able to come in, give Trey Young a spell, uh, give some of those young guys a nice little break. I feel like this is a good fit. It is, especially now because Chris Dunn, who they were 
going to lean on defensively. He he's needs to have surgery, out. right? Yep. Yeah, he's out indefinitely because of ankle surgery. So, and people are wondering, like, well, how are they going to fit everybody in their backcourt? Because now they've got Rondo and they've got Trey Young and they've got Chris Dunn. Well, guess what? They've got an injury already. So they're going to be able to fill that, you know, because Rondo will get those minutes now. So it kind of shakes out. But Trey Young has been unconscious so far to start the year. Another team that not exactly playing world beater so far. Um, they've beaten the Bulls. They've beaten the Grizzlies. They've beaten the Pistons. But, you know, a win is a win. Trey Young is, he's putting up 34 a night so far. And he's shooting efficiently. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting contributions from a lot of different people. Uh, Bogdan's played well so far. Um, you know, hey, I, we'll see if the, the Hawks are a team I wasn't very high on, even though they added all these different parts. And I look at it right now, and I'm still kind of like, I want to see a little bit more from them just because I'm still not sure exactly where all the roles are going to be filled. And can Trey young continue at this level, um, this consistently, I mean, he's going to have some bad nights coming up here. It's just, let's just see how far the team falls. If he starts having those bad nights and who's going to pick up for him on those nights. Thought uh, Clint Capella looked good in his debut with the team too. Yeah. Um, he had his first game with the Hawks uh, since the trade, I believe it was because he was injured last year and uh, put up seven points, uh, nine rebounds had a couple of blocks. Uh, I feel like as a lob partner, Trey young is you can't pick a better one. <laughs> uh, maybe James Harden, <laughs> but uh, for, for Clint to be that guy who, who cleans up on, on both ends and, and uh, alter shots on the defensive end. Uh, I feel like it's a nice fit there. Um, Again, I mean, Gallinari's already banged up though. So, I mean, that's something that worries you a little bit. And that, that was one of the things going into signing him for big money that I wondered about because he's always getting dinged up every year. It feels like, and he's already dinged up. Yeah. It's not like those major injuries that keep him out. It's the knickknacks. Um, but yeah, those can be annoying. The, the, the good thing for the Hawks though, is the depth they have at his position. Guys like DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, uh, even Kevin Herter in that spot. Uh, I'll tell you what, <laughs> over the weekend, uh, Nathan Knight, uh, this two-way guy they've brought in, uh, he's a undrafted out of William & Mary, and Lloyd Pierce was all over what Nathan was doing uh, in Memphis, and, and that was kind of cool to see because I, I love stories like that. Um, I, uh, I just think that the depth they have is, is pretty solid. Again, though, defensively, I don't know how it's it's gonna, you know, not rear its ugly head at some point. But for now, they're holding their own, uh, and they have won all of their games. So, the Hawks—that's another—that's the third undefeated team that we've talked about. Uh, let's let's just keep the train rolling, going to Indiana. I uh, already made brief mention of what uh, Demontis Sabonis has been doing, but the rest of the squad really buying into what Nate Bjorkren is is selling. Uh, as long as they stay healthy, I think that this is a team that a lot of people severely underestimated. Uh, we know how good M Malcolm Brogdon is and as, as a pick and roll uh, guy, someone who can shoot the lights out beyond the arc, even though he's off to a little bit of a short start this year. Uh, but Victor Oladipo, granted, he's, he's healthy, that he's able to do Victor Oladipo things that he did pre-injury and be able to shoot the ball. And he has so far, my goodness, he's 70% from beyond the arc. Um, and he's averaging 22 points a game with, uh, 5.5 rebounds. Um, and I'm, I don't like to be stats guy this early on in the season, but I mean, 70% stands out huge. Right. Um, so I, I think that this is a squad uh, that has depth. It is, it is long. It is a team that can score with the best of them. That was kind of, you know, not apparent last year with a, a slower offense, but with this one with Nate Bjorker and really focusing on them, you know, trying to get up better shots, the shot selection, um, it, you know, just being that lays layups and threes. Uh, and then on the defensive end to play physical, I feel like this is a team that a lot of people kind of overlooked and just kind of assumed that they would fall by the wayside. They're getting contributions up and down, you know, the roster right now, the holidays are doing, a lot as well. TJ Warren has continued to play well. I mean, when you look at the three-point shooting, quite honestly, Oladipo is the only one that's 
really shooting the ball well from deep. Sabonis, actually, he is too. It's 44%. But when you look at the team overall and they're shooting, they're shooting 52%. So, I mean, they are getting high-quality shots, even from two-point range. And, I mean, hey, so far, so good, you know, for the Pacers. Like, you know, I, I think the Oladipo question was going to be the biggest one going into the season because they weren't sure what they were going to get from him. Like, which Victor Oladipo are we getting? Is this the guy that was playing last year and was injured some of the times? Or what, are we going to get that guy who, you know, for stretches can be one of the top, you know, 15 guys in the league? And so far, he's played very efficiently. And, and I think the thing that he has to get used to and has so far is he has got to understand this is Sabonis' team. And he has got to work around him and fit his game around Sabonis. And so far, you know, in the three games they played so far, they Oladipo has only played in two of them. But so far, he has done that, and he's played efficiently. And um, together, they're they're quite the one-two punch. They really are. And 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 I've seen that firsthand too. Before Oladipo got hurt, to see Sabonis and and. Oladipo work together. I still think that Sabonis and Brogdon are are just uh, you know match made in heaven. Um, Miles Turner as as well. I feel like is is really trying to step up this year and and really make that next leap because I feel like we've been we've been waiting for that for the last you know couple of years. Um, I, I think that maybe a new coach could possibly be you know the 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 recipe for success there. Um, so we addressed the four undefeated teams in the NBA. Um, a couple other ones that, that we can get into in the East. Uh, I feel like we have to hit Brooklyn just because they're such an enigma. Um, they're a fun team to watch on the offensive end when they're fully healthy. We can't say enough about this Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant dynamic. Kyrie is playing close to damn near MVP ball right now. Um, it, it it really looks like, you know, his, you know, prime years with the Cavaliers, if I want to be perfectly honest, you know, perfectly uh, honest, he's just got the ball on a string. He's hitting all of his threes. He's able to, to use English off of the, the backboard to get these ridiculous layups, um, you know, getting down into, to the block and, and doing these turnarounds. Like, He's able to do it all and he's getting his teammates involved too, man. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch when he is engaged and he is playing the best of his abilities. Kevin Durant, on the other hand, looks like KD. <laughs> he, he looks just like KD. Um, he, you know, what else can you say other than Kevin Durant looks like Kevin Durant when he plays, you know, basketball, when he's healthy. It, it's kind of just hard to describe. It's just, those pull-up shots, those mid-rangers. I mean, he missed one uh, down the stretch against the, the Charlotte Hornets that would have sent it into overtime uh, in, in their first loss. Uh, that was Sunday. But I feel like it's just that duo it looks like they're clicking. Karis LeVert off the bench or when he's starting, you know, for those guys that they're sitting out, he just looks so good, just smooth, fluid, um, you know, hitting big shot after big shot, uh, you know, getting the stops. Karis just is just that next in line guy for the Nets. I hope, I really hope they hold on to him. Um, well, I mean, I look at that team. Squad. Yeah. I mean, you look at that team and I understand that on opening night, they're only playing golden state, but the chemistry right off the bat that you could see was incredible. I mean, between Irving and Durant, I mean, yeah, that was huge. But, I mean, to see the entire roster, it seemed so easy and so flawless what they were doing on offense. Everything was smooth. And then they bring it back against the Celtics, and they do it again, and they make it look so easy. And, I mean, it's just fun to watch. It's, it's not like Golden State was, you know, when they had, you know, Curry, Thompson, Durant. but the ball was moving like that. And this team is so deep and can shoot so well. I mean, you could see when they're on the court together, um, this team is going to be 
uh, incredibly tough to slow down offensively. I mean, the questions I've always had about them is going to be on defense. I think they're going to be a little bit better defensively than maybe I thought, but they have so much shooting on this team. It's ridiculous. I mean, the only thing that's going to slow them down because I, I think they're going to, you know, pace themselves early on. Like a lot of teams are the only thing that can slow them down is injuries. And unfortunately, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's going to be done for the season. It looks like with that partially torn ACL. And we're going to see how big of an effect that has on the team. I, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's going to hurt because he is a regular rotation guy. Um, it's and not one of the original nets. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to hurt as much as much as some of the other guys, but I mean, that's going to hurt. I mean, they're going to have to figure out where they're going to make up those, those, that production from in, you know, he had been struggling here early on, but still, I, I think we expect him to get out of that funk, but this team is so deep and can shoot so well. I mean, that's always going to be a terror to deal with. Yeah. And Chris Chioza looked good. I mean, uh, last night we're recording this on a uh, Tuesday afternoon, uh, but on Monday night, uh, against the Grizzlies, I feel like Chioza looked really good. So uh, somebody that that can step in and and help, uh, you know, get some of those minutes that that uh, were taken by Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously, again, Karis LeVert can step up in that role. Maybe some Landry Shamit. They'll they'll be able to piece it together. Uh, but Steve, who do you Nashville think they're going to start? Call. They're going to start. Go down the list here. Do you think they'll just put, do you think they'll just bump up Karis? No, you don't? I don't think, I don't think they want to do that. I think they want Karis to be the guy that dominates off the bench. so They can keep the flow going. Uh, I would assume probably, probably Landry Shamit. I could see that. Because he's he's you know he's kind of started in that role before, uh, not only for the Clippers but also the the uh, the Sixers when he was there. Um, that might be the best because Shamit can do a lot of different things, and he's not he can and he's a ball. shooter. He's yeah. a shooter. So. He'll just go out there and he'll park himself out there in the corners. He'll knock down threes, you know, when needed. He plays solid defense. Yeah, yeah. No, let's go. Let's go with Shamit. Um, my, my second. Uh, thought was maybe uh, Timotei Luwawu Cabarro, um, just because of, of how well he performed in the bubble, and uh, they have a lot of trust in him as well. So, those those would probably be my two my two choices. Yeah, uh, of who they would go with. By the way, speaking of the Nets, we haven't heard much talk lately, and I think it was overblown to begin with about them trying to trade for James Harden now, and. Like I said, I, I think they were one of the teams that, yeah, it seemed like a fit or they, they had the, um, the package to do it, but would they really want to pull the trigger? And I think it was more of a kind of, um, oh, let's have the conversation about it from, you know, media and fans more than the teams actually being interested in this. And I look at it now, and if I've seen how well Irving and Durant have played, you know, in this early sample size. I would not want to risk anything when it comes to my team depth and chemistry right now by adding another, you know, high profile offensive player. It's not just, it's not just Harden and his personality. It's what he does on the court and that it's incredible what he does on the court, but considering the, the two big pieces they already have, they don't need another piece that big, that ball dominant that needs the ball that much. I mean, they've already got that. And I think it, it's just shown so far, you know, early on, like they do not need James Harden. And I think it would be just too much. We've already seen what the Nets are capable of without James Harden. <laughs> so like, like, so I'm right there with you. Why, why add another cook into the kitchen when it's clear that you have something special brewing there? By the way, so, James Harden is, he is obviously out of shape. Obviously. And this dude, comes in out of shape in his first game and he puts up 44. Yep. 44. I mean, they lost to Portland in overtime, but he puts up 44 drilling threes, just doing James Harden stuff, finding guys, you know, moving he looked ball. great with Christian Wood. He looked great with Christian Wood. I think those Absolutely. two could be so good together if they keep it, you know, 
together. And I understand that Harden has his problems with the organization and has been behind the scenes has been very loud about like, I want to get out of here. He's expanded whatever teams he might get moved to or would be okay with. But I do wonder, because remember early on, what did the Rockets say about the Harden situation? We're prepared to get uncomfortable. And they've, they've gotten uncomfortable with this, but now he's on the court and they've got wood out there. And then we got to see how we can play with a John wall and with the Marcus cousins. They make their debuts on Thursday because of the coronavirus protocol. Sure. But you get them all on the court. And this is where Houston, I think is sitting there going, unless somebody was going to just wow us with a package. And I mean, wow, there is no reason why we would move him right now. He can say what he wants. He can do what he wants. But the bottom line is Harden goes on the court and he plays and he plays hard. It's not like he was prepared to sit out games. He wasn't going to do anything. He's not going to dog it, you know, during a game. He's going to play hard. And I think the more that they get him on the court and he gets to play with these other guys, and if they play well, I, I really wonder if they would trade him. You know, it would, it would have to be that overwhelming trade package at that point. And I don't know how many teams have that or are willing to do it or how desperate they're going to be for. Does it help that I saw him crack a smile yesterday in Denver? I, I definitely just think the Rockets have to be happy about that. I mean, just a little bit, just a little bit, even though they got thrashed, they did, they did. absolutely get thrashed, but I did see him crack a smile. I believe it was after he threw a pass to, to uh, Daniel house. I was like, I saw him crack a smile. But I mean, the and Rockets have to give this more than when they've seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but they've got to give this a chance because we could sit here and there's plenty of people that have a problem with James Harden's game. And I get that. He's so ball dominant and step back threes and herky jerky stuff that he does. It's not for everybody, but, and, and then people can have a problem about the way that he's handled all this, his personality. There, there's plenty of things to criticize, but once he's on the court, I mean, he is one of the best offensive players that we've ever seen in the NBA, quite honestly. I mean, he's out of shape, and he puts up 44-17 and 17 on his first night, and then he comes back, and I know it's a loss too, but it's 34 points. So even out of shape, he's averaging 37 and a half, okay? <laughs> 39, the, actually. 39. 39, and, uh, excuse me. My math is off. 12 and a half assists as well, it's, by the way. It's ridiculous. I mean, this is why the Rockets are sitting there going, there is no way we could trade this guy for, you know, even for like what Brooklyn was going to offer. You know, you want to give us Karis Laverne, you want to give us Spencer Dinwiddie and a couple other parts and some picks. That ain't enough. It's just not enough. And I don't know what would be enough. I mean, it would have to be really desperation mode where I think the Rockets would be willing to move him. That's why I think when you even talk about the Sixers, we talk about Ben Simmons. The Sixers might say, yeah, we'll do it straight up. The Rockets got to be like, there's no way in hell. We got to get a lot more because this is James Harden. Daryl Morey got dinged up, by the way, for 50K because of a tweet generator. An automatic Did you tweet. see that? Yes, because this app that he has automatically tweeted something on a one-year anniversary saying congratulations to James Harden. For, for like a, an assist record or something yeah. stupid like that. And he got fined $50,000 by the NBA because of that, because it was yep. seen as tamper, tampering. And, oh boy, that sucks, man. Just delete the app or something next time. Speaking of Harden, <laughs> though, one other thing about him when it comes to like, you know, possible trades, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon. But, you know, he's expanded his list. The one fan base that has been associated with him that I've heard the most noise out of that are like, no, we do not want him or the Boston Celtics. And I don't know Boston if you've seen be able to, to offer an actual close package. That's why they could. But the thing is, I mean, the noise that I've heard from Boston fans are like, they're, they're afraid to get him because they don't want to get their team because what's it going to cost them? Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. And a bevy of picks. And I don't even know if that's really enough. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine a way where Jason Tatum is included in a package for him. But like, no the chance. Celtics, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the Celtics can put in this, but um, you know that they're a team that's 
been talked about when it comes to Harden. And the thing that I keep hearing from Celtic fans are like, no, 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 no. We don't want James Harden here. We don't want any part of that guy. No, 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 no. We don't want to hear about it. The Blazers were the other team that were on his wish list. Uh, it was Christmas Eve that came out that it was Boston and in Portland. Yeah. So I, <laughs> what are they going to do? I, They're going to trade CJ McCollum and you know, uh, some other parts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, CJ would definitely probably have to be a part of the deal if it happened. I can't imagine um, Damon and Harden working together. Yeah, be interesting. Be interesting uh, to see how these different styles would mesh. Uh, but for right now, we're still pondering and we're still just waiting. But James Harden is still balling. Yeah, I mean his I, team, his team's zero two, but he's still balling. He's still balling, and and I do wonder if once you get you know those two guys back on the court, you know once you get Wall and Cousins out there. Let's see how this team does. Because I agree. James Harden is playing this well out of shape. And if he can gel with those guys, if those guys could even be 75% of what they've been in the past, I mean, the Rockets could be a really good team. I mean, they'd definitely be in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that they could do it. I mean, they've done it for, I don't know how many years in, in a row. Uh, under Since Harden's been there. Harden's, you know, leadership. So I, I think that there's no reason to, you know, balk at that. Um, I mean, they're literally a, a non-turnover away from being one and one. So uh, it's a little it's a little too early for playoff talk, uh, but I see what you mean. So let's let's continue to pay attention to the storyline, see how it develops, see if Harden ends up wanting to to stay there after a certain amount of time or if his tone doesn't change uh had it on here uh we already mentioned that spencer dinwiddie's out for the year for the par partially torn acl um unfortunately last night in that brooklyn game we kept talking about uh with the grizzlies john morant ended, ended up uh hurting his ankle pretty bad uh had to get wheeled to the locker room uh came back sat down uh had a uh, walking boot on his left ankle. So uh, the official diagnosis there is that it's a, it's a sprain. It's a, it's probably a severe sprain if there's a walking boot on it, but just sucks to see that literally less than a week into the season that John Morant goes down, probably he's going to miss, you know, at least a, a few weeks at minimum uh, to have that thing heal up. But just seeing jaw, especially after the way he started the season uh, go down that quickly. Uh, it just sucks to see as a fan. Yeah. And, you know, luckily it's not any worse than it was. There's no, there's no breaks. Nothing was torn, anything like that. Just a severe ankle sprain. Because when he went down, that looked bad. He started hobbling over to the, uh, the he, he hobbled off the court uh, and you could just see him writhing in pain. And then when you see a wheelchair come out or anything, that's, that's just a sign. That's just like, oh, it's probably not good. Unless you're Paul Pierce, then it's a different kind of situation with the wheelchair. Was waiting on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you said, I mean, John Moran's gotten off to such a great start, such a great young player. And I mean, we'll see how long he's going to be sidelined for, but, um, yeah, that, that was a tough one to, to watch. I mean, it's that, but like I said, I'm, I'm glad it's not worse than it is because that, that would be horrible. It would, it would, uh, did you want to hit on any of those struggling teams? So I did want to make note of this too, cause I found this rather interesting just cause of how many there are, but there are eight teams in the Western conference that are two and one. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's where so, it's going to be all year. It's going to be tight. So you can just see, you can just go to basketball reference right now and you see a bunch of ones. You see, everyone's a one seed. It's, it's so funny. Um, but I, I know you wanted to hit on some of the struggling teams. So uh, any other ones that you wanted to, to, to get to uh, before we get out of here? Well, the warriors obviously are struggling fierce and Steph Curry has had trouble, you know, getting off shots in this last game that he played, he played better. And when they beat the bulls, but it was a last minute win with uh, Damian Lee hitting the game winner. And, but you could tell that that team is going to be hurting all year long. It is really going to be tough for them. And, you know, maybe as the season goes on, they can build some chemistry and whatnot, but, I, I see the Warriors as great as Steph Curry is. They are going to struggle all year. I think it's going to be really, really hard to for them to um, even be a 500 team 
in the Western Conference. That's why I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. We'll see where this goes, but so far, um, it has not looked good, you know, for them. And I think it's going to continue. Um, I know when we uh, did our first podcast that I said the Bulls would not make the playoffs, but I thought they'd be frisky. Um, that's e me right there because the Bulls are horrible and they might be the worst team in the NBA. So that that one's on me. I they got to figure that out though, because Co- Coach Donovan's way too good to to let that continue, and they have too much talent on their team for that to continue. So I I'm not throwing in that towel for you just yet. Not 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 yet. Oh, I've got Duke sitting there going, throw the damn towel already. Okay, so um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll bite that one early. Um, and the other team is, is the Wizards, who are zero three so far. They can't uh, play defense. They, they cannot can't play, a play lick defense. Of defense. I mean, Bradley Beal looks unbelievable. Westbrook's already missed a game, but I mean, they cannot play defense to save their lives. And you know, I I was probably like one of those people too that like, oh, well, look at the parts they've got. Look at all the shooting they've got. I've got blinders on a little bit, thinking, oh, this they're a team that could, you know, make the bottom end of the uh, the playoffs in the East. And then you have to re- remember, you know, go back to last year and say, oh, yeah, this team is hideous at defense. And that has carried over, even with Russell Westbrook. He is not going to solve their problems in the least. And, and Russ have- has already blamed himself for, for two of those losses, for, for shot selection and for just not being better uh, overall. And he's definitely going to come out one of these games, and the Wizards are going to like win by 20. Because, right. you know, pissed off Russ is literally the best Russ. Yes, but I mean... They have not uh, played well so far. Like I no. said, two two losses <laughs> to the Magic. So I mean that that's rough. The Pistons are exactly what we thought they would be. Um, they try though. They they, they try. definitely they try. They and yeah, it was a uh, Monday night where they had a game, and 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 you know they were down by like twenty something with like six minutes left, and they made it a ball game in Atlanta. Uh, you, you know, I I kept mentioning I don't know what. Jeremy Grant would look like as a number one option, but so far he's doing a good job and, and, and averaging 21 a game. Uh, you, you know, it, he's not meant to be a number one guy, uh, but somebody that's, that's going to give it his all and, and someone who's earned every penny of the contract that he got. So uh, there, there's him. Josh Jackson, I think has done a really phenomenal job for the Pistons so far. Uh, I, Blake Griffin sat out uh, the, the, the game in Atlanta, but, I saw him take on the the Cavs and Blake looked really sharp, uh, especially as a three point shooter, just uh, just knocking down everything in sight. Let um, me ask this question to you though about the Pistons because it's the question I think a lot of people had before the season, and I have this question even more now. So that the season has begun, what were they thinking when it came to letting Christian Wood go? I have no idea because they just signed six new centers or drafted six new centers, whatever it is. They brought in six new centers in some way, shape, or form. A good young big man like Christian Wood wouldn't have worked well on this team. I mean, Christian Wood would be great on any team, I think. I have no idea why they did what they did. I I, I can't answer you. I can't. You have to ask Troy Weaver. I do not understand that at all. I wondered about that at the time that they were letting him walk, and... Then they went and signed all those bigs, like you said. And I was like, okay, maybe they know something or whatever. And all that he has done so far with the Rockets is put up big numbers. <laughs> yep. I mean, he's killing it. Yep. Yep. I mean, who knows if he keeps playing this well, maybe James Harden, like I said before, will want to stay with Houston. Maybe he'll say bygones or bygones. Man, I got this young big guy that's playing great that, that uh, I love playing with. I mean. He's got a lob partner again, and he's got a pick and roll partner. Like, right. it, it's, it's, it's a good combo. That's why I kind of want to see him stay there. Yes. And I, I'm like, I, I just look at going, I don't know what they were thinking. And I mean, Woods putting up 27 points a night. I mean, he's hitting 57% from three point range. I mean, he's killing it. He's, he's been a fantastic fit for James Harden. Now mind you, they got to start winning games. We all know that, but at least on one end of the court, they're clicking. And yes. that's a great sign for the Rockets to go out and get this guy. I, I wanted to shout out uh, one more team too, before we get out of here, uh, the Oklahoma city thunder, a team that we constantly go into a season and see the roster and said, I don't know about it this year. 
So they're one and one so far, but they are a Shea Gilgis Alexander layup away from being two and zero. They just dropped uh, their contest to the Jazz uh, on Monday night. They these these guys are fighters. Uh, a, a lot of people are getting onto the Lugans Dort bandwagon, uh, especially since you know he broke out in the bubble last year. Uh, that playoff performance, obviously going head to head. Uh, with James Harden, uh, we all know how that one ended up, but Dort hit something like five or six threes and was really playing good defense. He had Donovan Mitchell pretty frustrated yesterday, and he ended up having 26 of his own points, nailed five of his own threes. Uh, that's a legitimate piece uh, that could definitely be a part of that long-term success in Oklahoma City if they want to continue, you know, the way they're going, we know that they have their veterans, Al Horford and, and George Hill, but so far so good with those two, um, especially as mentors and uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean, there's no question. He's going to be the number one option there for a long time to come, but Mark Dagnall got those guys playing good. And, and I wanted to shout them out because they deserve it. And um, you know, again, they're one-on-one, but uh, Shea had a game winner in their first game uh, at Charlotte. So, who knows? Who knows what it is with uh, these Thunder? We always think they're gonna gonna tank it out, but um, some reason they just can't die. <laughs> I think before the end of the year, they'll probably end up with um, anywhere between four to six more first round draft picks. <laughs> <laughs> they're just gonna keep piling them on. Sam yeah. Presti just has an entire I've... entire case of them somewhere in his house. I mean, this year is about. Shea getting better and about them getting in position to start using their own and everybody else's draft picks. That's what this is. I mean, I, they, they, they play hard. I'm glad they're playing hard for the coach. They want to you know, build that mindset. I don't think anybody expects them to even snip the playoffs this year, but they can get themselves in a good position for the upcoming seasons because they're going to have so many different moves that they can pull off you know, between now and the next three years when it comes to making their own draft picks and making trades with some of the guys they've got right now. Can they move Horford? Are there going to be some other guys? Maybe they move. Maybe there's a big play for somebody where they say, hey, we've stockpiled all these picks for a reason. We're going to move them and we're going to grab a guy. Um, so, I mean, they're going to be pretty active. And, you know, let's see what they do between now and then. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you have on your mind? I did want to preview what we have coming up ahead. Um but but I didn't have anything else uh, that was exactly on my. Uh, Only one know, team was lost by 51, and that was the LA Clippers. It was. It was. And that was not pretty. That's something that was something that we we saw from the Mavericks. They're, they're not off to the greatest start themselves, but you can see when they're clicking and when, you know, Josh Richardson's hitting his threes and Dorian Finney, Finney Smith's hitting his threes and Luca's getting to the cup that's what you see. That's what, you know, like they, they've got such a good team. I, I love Dwight Powell. I'm glad that he's back and healthy. They're going to obviously work him back in, but same with Jalen Brunson. That's someone that they missed as well in the, in the bubble. And he's looked so good so far uh, off the bench for Dallas. So they've got quite a squad. I know that uh, <laughs> the Clippers or at least Paul George, um, who's off to a great start, by the way, uh, Paul George said that, uh, you know, the Christmas hangover was definitely at fault there. And it, it could be true because the, the, the Clippers are actually off to a, a pretty solid start themselves. But were the were the, the Clippers like each eating a whole turkey that morning or what happened? Because, I mean, when you're down by 50 at the half, I mean, there was a point where like Mark Stein was tweeting out scores like this is not a typo. It is 66-24 or something. It was like eight minutes left to go in the second quarter. And you know you're down fifty at the half. You're like, what the hell is going on? I mean that <laughs> that that was crazy. And still, I mean, they came out in the second half. I think they went on like an eight zero or a ten zero run, and then that was it. Then the Mavs just said, okay, we'll start playing again, and they end up winning by fifty one. It was a drubbing. It was a drubbing. Uh, oh, by okay. the way, uh, when it comes to the Mavs, Rick Carlisle said today that uh, Porzingis was a full go in practice. He's not sure about a timetable for when he'll play in games, but he will not be in December. But he said sometime in the next two weeks is not far-fetched. 
So okay. Sounds like we're getting Porzingis back sooner than later. All right. KP and Luca back together. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. And it's funny that he said probably not in December because there's literally two days left in December. Yes. So I can understand <laughs> that. Okay. It's not like it was that far fetched. Like, oh, can you imagine somebody not thinking about the calendar going, I gotta wait till till 2021 before I get Porzingis? Oh, wait, that's just a couple of days. Oh, uh, wait. Some things that stick out to me uh, coming up on the national TV schedule. We do have the Bucks and the Heat on Tuesday night. Um, and that's actually Tuesday and Wednesday night, I should actually say. That's a two-game series. Um, the undefeated Magic, if they still are, hosting the Sixers uh, on New Year's Eve. And we have the Suns and Jazz as well on New Year's Eve. Uh, I, I think that this one could be interesting. Kings at Rockets on Saturday, January 2nd. And then we have the Wizards at the Nets, I think, is a, another one that could be good on Sunday, January 3rd. So I uh, just wanted to to let you guys know what uh, possible national TV games could pique some interest, but that is going to do it here for us on keeping it 94. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Remember to leave a comment, like subscribe. We are on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to check out basketballnews.com. Again, have some great work on there for you. Features, columns, uh, other podcasts that we're a part of on the Basketball News Podcast Network. So make sure to go again to basketballnews.com and we'll see you next time.